Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Anybody got a dollar for the vending machine? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. Which puts you, the listener, back at the wheel. Ready for a rest stop? is from W. Edward Stemming. Without questions, there is no learning. And we've gotten a ton of great questions from our road trippers. Today's bonus episode is going to answer three of them. Please remember, we are not providing advice or therapy with these answers. These answers are just another way of looking at the problem for you to consider and apply as you see fit. So without further ado, here's our first question. When a husband and wife are polar opposites on an important hot decision, like public versus private schools, how should they come to agree on which direction to go? Don, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So this really applies to to any situation where two people have distinct and opposite points of view. This could be around politics. It could be around uh, what kind of coffee to have in the coffee room at work. It can be anything uh, that you have very distinct and strong feelings and emotions about. In this particular case, this can really drive a wedge between a husband and wife. So the first thing you want to do as soon as you notice that there are two really strong points of view is step back and say, for the service of our relationship, I'm going to set aside my point of view. I know it's going to be there. I won't forget it, but I'm going to set it aside so that I can really pay attention to what your point of view is. I want to listen first to understand, as uh, Stephen Covey talked about in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And when you listen, you have to allow yourself to be influenced by the intelligence, commitment, and passion of the other person. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you need to open yourself up to see that their point of view has its own rationale, that it does make sense, from their perspective. When you do that and you allow influence, you're going to become a much more influential person when you share your point of view. That doesn't mean that your point of view will prevail because part of what makes this problem huge is that you want your point of view to prevail. You think you're right. I am right. And that attitude will push other folks away. All joking aside, this is a great tool to to work through. Um, Dr. John Gottman created this tool, which is called uh, Dreams Within Conflict. And this is a tool used for gridlocked problems. Uh, Dr. Gottman refers to the gridlocked problems as being these problems that just keep coming up and they keep getting stuck uh, and you can't seem to figure out how to get through them or navigate through them. And these are kind of defined by being entrenched in opposing positions, getting stuck kind of like battering rams almost against each other and not really getting anywhere. So within this, you have to understand your own dream of why 
you have such strong feelings about your position. And then also understanding your partner's dream of why they have such strong uh, feelings about where they stand. With this particular one of public versus private school, understanding why that's important. So for, and in this question, it is husband and wife. And for the husband, it may be that public school is important because they experienced uh, amazing cultural diversity and the education was great. And it was a big learning experience as far as understanding the different dynamics of the public domain around them. And for the wife, private school might have been really important because of I don't know enough about private school to give a good example about this. So private school may have felt safer, had less bullying in it, uh, smaller class sizes. It can be anything. So recognize it doesn't even have to be just about schools. Whatever your dreams are have something to do with the history you have and the beliefs that you hold and the emotions you're experiencing about those beliefs. Right. And Gottman gives some examples about deeper level dreams that might help in trying to understand this. So a dream might be getting your priorities in order, dealing with what it means to be who you are, a sense of honor, a sense of adventure, consistency with past adventures. All of these are different dreams that we may hold close to ourselves in the position that we stand in during these arguments or during these problems. So if you want to know more about this particular tool, you can look at John Gottman's book called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. The key though here is to truly truly care about the point of view your partner has. If you demonstrate that care and open yourself up to influence, it is highly likely you'll find a pathway through this. I think our listener wrote that they were set in their decision. And it sounds like that might be something they need to consider a bit based on this tool that you need to be willing to be influenced at least a little bit. And you really need to be willing to listen to the other person and understand deeply where they're coming from. And this is a person that is very important to you. So it's really important to listen to them and to understand why they feel the way they do. And not just important to you, also important to the children who are going to be educated in either private or public schools. This is definitely a hard decision. It it is a hard decision. And here's one of the, the gifts and challenges of being married. And that is you don't get to make decisions by yourself anymore. Well, I have a cool tool on understanding why (laughs) you feel certain ways and understanding how to create a compromise in this dynamic. So again, Dr. Gottman, creating awesome tools out there, uh, developed the compromise circles, which we will have a PDF of um, on our resources page, but it looks kind of like a big donut. (laughs) I like donuts. I like donuts too. The donut hole is the aspects you can't give in on. These are core values that absolutely have to happen. An example of this being the kids have to go to school. Period. End of sentence. That's where we're at. Um, And then the compromising circles. So the actual donut itself. Um, (laughs) 
sorry, Papa's cheering me on for having figured out that it's the donut. Uh, the donut itself is what you can compromise on. Okay, maybe they can go to public school. Maybe they can go to private school. That's flexible, but they need to go to school. That's the non-flexible one. What if I only have a donut hole? I'm not willing to compromise on anything. I only have my held beliefs. So if you stay there, you won't stay married. Donuts holes are not the best part of the donut. Depends on your point of view. But the reality is, if you are uncompromising, it's very likely that you won't be able to sustain the marriage. So marriage is about two partners engaging together to accomplish something neither of them can do by themselves. It really does require understanding and honoring the intelligence and values of the other person in order to find a decision that works for both of you. Also, if you only have a donut hole, that's kind of sad to think about because you don't have the openness to be influenced by somebody else. You've just become this isolated stronghold. And that's not a fun way to live in the world. You don't accept the influence. You don't connect with other people. It is through our flexible beliefs and how we connect and grow in the world around us. Yeah, you can't you can't grow, you can't learn if you're not willing to accept influence. So what if I am willing to be influenced but I'm set in my decision. I have a pretty good idea what I want and my partner is kind of flip-flopping, you know, she agrees and then she changes her mind or she's kind of reluctant to agree. What do I do about that? You know, how do we reconcile my firm belief and her seemingly unfirm belief? Well, it sounds like you're not creating space for her to have her belief safely. In this situation, because you're so firm, for her, it may feel like if I don't agree, then all is lost. But I don't agree and I don't want to be on your side with this because I have my own value, but I don't have enough space to share that value with you and have it be heard. The important part in this is it being heard. To create that space, we touched on this at the very beginning. You have to put yourself aside. You have to sit and listen with the intent of hearing what your partner has to say. And, and caring about what they have to say. You, you, you have to hold their thoughts and feelings gently and with reverence, not with dismissal. So in your scenario, Ben, where you're talking about, um, it sounds like it's flip-flopping, that's a person who really doesn't feel safe and doesn't feel heard. And when I say safe, it's not physically safe. That's what most people think about. It's emotionally safe. That my position will be honored by you. That we can actually say, you know, we really don't agree on this. How will we move forward? That's really the question you're trying to answer. Because you got to move forward. Yes. You're going to have to answer this question. Yes. So there's really no other option. Mm -hmm. I, to me, that's almost... Um, a relief. Even if I know this is a super hard decision, we're arguing about it, we're fighting about it, it's hard, but we have to answer this. There's only one way forward. And so it really is a matter of if, if you're the one holding the super firm belief and you feel confident, you need to open up and listen. You need to step away from your belief. You can come back to it, but let it go for a bit 
and listen to the other person. If you're the one who doesn't feel like you can express fully how you feel, what are some tools that person can use to kind of feel more confident in expressing the, these dreams and, and, and beliefs that they have? In many of the relationships that I've worked with over the years, when one person struggles to find their voice, to, to feel strong enough when talking with their partner to say something that's controversial, it works to write things down. Um, when your mother and I were first married, uh, she struggled with getting controversial points across. And as you all have experienced throughout your life, I am a pretty confident <laughs> out there kind of oh, guy. I was going to say now she has no problem with it. Because she has learned that it's not dangerous, right? Just because I have a strong point of view doesn't mean I won't listen to hers. Um, but at first, she didn't understand that at all. And she had no examples of that in her life. So she took to writing stuff down. She would write me all of her thoughts and then would read them to me. And I knew when that was happening that this was taking a lot of courage from her. So I created a nice, safe, open space because I really wanted to hear what she had to say and what she was thinking and feeling. What do you mean by created a nice, safe, open space? What did that look like behaviorally for you? Physically, I'm sitting in a neutral position. I'm looking at her. My eyes are open and relaxed. My face is relaxed. My hands are relaxed. Wow, this is a lot more detail than I was expecting, to be honest. But you were, I'm giving our, our audio listeners a visual cue. Then I'm paying attention to my breathing so that I stay completely relaxed while I'm listening to and trying to understand her point of view. I'm not preparing myself with a, a rebuttal. I'm not preparing myself with an explanation or a defense. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, I think one of the keys here is you're not going to be saying anything, really. That's right. In fact, you could have this whole conversation and be like, okay, I heard you, and that's it. You don't need to offer any opinion or, like you said, rebuttal, question, maybe questions, but, but you really don't need to contribute to this at all. You are here to receive this other person's point of view. Yeah. The one thing I might do is reflect back what I heard. So and that, clarify. Yeah. Right. So that the other person understands that I heard them. And for people who are new at this type of listening, it's okay to take notes about what your partner is saying. It is really hard to sit and be present and absorb all of this information and hold it in your brain all while trying to maintain a loose body experience and not form rebuttals. So write down keywords that you're hearing your partner say. I absolutely loved this aspect of my experience or this part was really scary for me. And writing it down so that you're able to reflect on it later as well as reflect it back to your partner. And asking questions like, I heard this, am I right in thinking that? You know, because it's possible that you heard an inflection in their voice that triggered a feeling word that they didn't actually say, check in on that feeling word. Your face looked a little scared when you were talking about this thing. Is scared an appropriate feeling? But again, feel comfortable writing notes about what your partner is saying. You're new to this, or I'm assuming you're new to this type of listening, and it is challenging. Don is very well skilled in this. He's been doing it forever. He's an old man. And I 
I, as a therapist, I do a pretty good job of holding space and remembering these things. But again, I'm trained in these things. I have spent time cultivating this type of space for other people. It starts with maybe writing notes. It it Um, really starts with caring about the other person's point of view. If you really care about their point of view and you recognize that it, it will not prevail over yours, you're simply trying to understand. This isn't a fight. It won't prevail. And also, your point of view won't prevail. Neither point of view can prevail. Right. This has to be a compromise. Right. It's not about winning. It's about understanding. If you make it about winning, everyone loses. In this particular case, the kids will lose. They may get the education you want, but they won't get the parents they want. Thanks for sending in this question. And uh, as a recap, we covered dreams within conflict and compromise circles. And those will be resources we'll link in the show notes. And just remember, like Don said, it's about caring about the other person, creating a safe space where they can express their beliefs and their values and reaching that compromise together. So are you all ready for the next question? Yes, sir. Let's go. Woohoo! Okay. Our next question is, can you talk more about the nature of work relationships particularly when the dynamic shifts after a peer becomes one's boss. Ooh, tricky. Tricky, tricky. So this, this is a difficult and very common situation. And there are a couple of sub-situations in here that are also fairly common. So um, let's take the first one. Uh, you're in a work team and your boss gets promoted or fired or <laughs> leaves to another company, creating a vacancy. The company chooses to promote one of the people on the work team to the leadership position. Seems reasonably logical. Very logical. But before, you and I, as peers, would go have a beer together. We would talk about football or hockey or whatever, or Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) And now that seems awkward because you're now evaluating my performance. Now I'm the DM. (laughs) Yeah, now you're the DM. And, and I'm a non-player character. Um, <laughs> so our, our DM friend, I mean, our Dungeons and Dragons friends out there will understand all of that. But I can feel less than because you got promoted. I can feel endangered uh, because our relationship has changed. You could even feel like you lost a friend. Like I lost a friend. Or you might feel threatened that now you have to be in charge of stuff and you don't have an outlet of sharing things with me. And you might feel lonely and isolated. All kinds of feelings come up. The best way through is to talk about it openly. How will we go forward now that we have a change in our relationship? Can I add, perhaps talk about it openly, but maybe not over beers, as that could get out of hand. Right. Not not over any substances. Yeah. Beers, marijuana, CBD. Openly and soberly. All right. So let's go back. The, when when that, that kind of thing happens, really uh, having an open conversation about how are we going to relate to one another moving forward? How does this make sense? Um, and it may be that one aspect of our relationship is sacrificed. Uh, maybe we're less friendly because now we have a more important business relationship. Um, But it's also possible that we can maintain the friendship and the business relationship. 
it's likely that it's going to change in some way though. That's just the reality of it. That's very And that's hard. Change Mm -hmm. is always hard. So Mm -hmm. even if you are able to navigate that smoothly, it's going to be uncomfortable. So let's go with the second scenario, which also happens a lot. Um, We are team members. Boss leaves for whatever reason. They're looking at the team members for filling that slot. And both people wanted the leadership slot, but only one gets it. And you're the one now that was uh, overlooked. All kinds of emotions come up. I didn't get the promotion. I'm not getting the money. I think I'm better than you are. I fear that I'm worse than you are and that they're actually right. All of those things are emotions happening inside of me that can come out uh, in acting out behaviors. I don't intend to be harmful, but I might drag my feet or say bad things about decisions or contradict you in uh, public or do all kinds of acting out behavior uh, that can harm the relationship. Again, the pathway through this, have a conversation. Talk through how we're going to do it. All right. So we have that conversation, but I still feel like, hey, I was overlooked. I am jealous of your position. I don't, I'm, I'm mad at you. Like, I don't, I, how do I resolve that? Like, if this is going to be our ongoing situation, I'm just going to keep feeling resentful of you for getting this promotion over me. I mean, how am I going to reconcile that? So do you remember episode one? No. <laughs> So in episode one, we talked about a thing called personal responsibility. And if you truly believe that you are qualified for a leadership position, it may not be in that company or it may not be on that team. That's kind of what I was getting at. I mean, this sort of seems like the kind of thing that could lead you to find another job. Absolutely. But that seems extreme. Although you were suggesting an extreme situation. That's true. Right. And the reality is, is that the reason most people leave their workplace is because of their boss. Because they don't like their boss or because they can't work with their boss or their value systems don't line up. Their boss might be just fine, but other things might be in the way. Sure. Or they value the friendship with the boss more than they value the job. And they can find a job somewhere else on a different team and prefer to have um, the friendship. Well, that seems like a positive outcome. Yes. It doesn't all have to be negative. Kim, do you have any tools for us? I don't know that I have any tools, but another thing to think about is the hiring managers, the the people who made the decision about it, clearly had an opinion about the work that you and this other person put forward. And if you really start questioning your work and how well you've done and why this other person was chosen... Schedule a meeting with with HR and talk with them and ask, what skills are you seeing that I need to improve on? And ask for self-improvement. And this becomes a catalyst for change within yourself. Um, As Don said, maybe it is finding another job. But understanding that this person was chosen for a reason. They show values. They show work outcomes that are different than yours and learning what your work outcomes are. Can I ask another? So I'm thinking back to the question a bit and our listener said, after a peer becomes one's boss, which doesn't necessarily, we've kind of talked about if you're already friends or like kind of relatively close and that that's the tension part of, that's part of the tension that you have this close relationship and now you're navigating this, you know, supervisor employee relationship 
and either trying to maintain that friendship or distancing that friendship because of this change. What if the person is not necessarily a close friend, just somebody you've worked with a lot? Does that change any of these tools? I mean, you may not feel like you need or want to have that deep a conversation with them about the new dynamic. You may just kind of feel resentful or uncertain about your own work and not have that closeness with the new boss to talk through it with them. Sure. So again, the first thing you got to look at is whatever your feelings are. If you're feeling resentful or if you're feeling like you were looked over, check your behavior. Did you put your name in uh, to, for the promotion? Have you been positioning yourself? Have you been letting other people know, hey, I'd like the next level in my career progression? What am I doing to move myself forward? And so like Kim said, maybe go talk to HR, see what they were looking for. See if there are other positions in the company maybe that you could qualify for or work towards. Yes, absolutely. Again, personal responsibility. If you hadn't been thinking about it before and the opportunity popped up and you weren't really prepared, how do you prepare yourself for the next opportunity? Hmm. And really any shift in leadership at a company kind of prompts these questions. Yeah. So that's pretty natural, I guess. Absolutely. Okay. I feel like we covered that one. Okay. Should I recap? And take personal responsibility for however you're reacting to this. You know, decide for yourself, what is it I want in the relationship with this peer who is now my boss? There you go. I don't know if I even need more of a recap than that. You can recap my recap. So like Don said, <laughs> I think you're good. Thanks for sending in that question. And uh, if you have follow-up questions, send them in and um, let us know how the situation develops. All right. It's time for our third and final question of this episode. My wife and I have recently had to readjust our relationship. Our youngest child went to college and things got quiet, too quiet. We tried to think back on what we did before we had children around. We couldn't remember much. We picked up pickleball together, which has helped us learn and grow at a new sport, as well as have a new discussion topic. But we need more. My question is, do you have any tips to help us grow together without the shared mission of raising children? And I want to note that this is from a friend of Don, so he has at least one out there. Again, please, please write us if you are Don's friend and let us know. <laughs> All right. And Don has an excellent answer for this since both of his children have launched off and he has had to spend more time with his wife. I love how she said that, had to spend more time with his wife. I am delighted to have more time to spend with my Imprisoned forever. Wife. So this is actually a great question about transitions that happen in our lives and, and how, how to prepare for those and how to adjust to those as they come along. Having a mission is an important element of one's personal life. How am I fulfilling my own um, gifts and talents in the world and sharing them with others. So as the writer uh, points out, they started pickleball together and that became a great way uh, of experiencing the world. They can do other things. There are volunteer opportunities that are out there uh, that they could share together or do separately and bring back the information. You know what I would do? I would sit down together and each of you make a big old list of stuff you like doing or stuff you're interested in learning and then see what things overlap. As just a place to start, because you can always pick something the other person likes and, you know, get interested in it yourself. But see, make a big list. It'd be kind of a fun game. Make a huge list separately and then see how many things you have in common. Hopefully there's a few. <laughs> it's almost like you're looking at your dreams. Yes. 
and creating a, a shared vision for what your future can be. There are also resources that are out there. So the community centers and, and most of the cities uh, have programs for adults uh, that you can go learn pottery or other skills. Photography is a big one. Um, there are, uh, like here in North Carolina, in Raleigh, um, at the McKimmon Center at uh, North Carolina State University, there is a whole program of education for older adults. You have to be 55, I think, or older uh, to go to these. The program is called OLLI. We can probably put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. And they cover all kinds of things. They do really interesting things. One of the courses they offered, uh, I'm still working full-time, so I couldn't couldn't do this. They um, read an author who primarily wrote about situations in Chicago. And then they took a road trip to Chicago to visit the buildings and uh, places that he described in the books. That sounds cool to me. There was another one that taught um, Spanish, and then they took a trip to Costa Rica together. Um, Lots of different courses like that, that will expand your thinking. I think an important part to notice in this is having overlapping things is wonderful. Having that shared time together is great, but also making sure that you're doing things that are separate, that you're still maintaining that individual identity outside of the couple. Um, And that brings in new conversation, right? Coming back at the end of the day and eating dinner together and talking about like, oh, we did this cool photography trip in downtown Durham. And, you know, the other person is talking about the plants that they planted in the community garden. Um, Different things that you can talk about and share excitement and dreams about for the future, as well as occasionally having these things that you do together, like learning Spanish and going to Costa Rica. That does sound really fun, and I'm kind of salty that I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Enough said. Yeah, I I think that covers it. You know, I can't speak to this situation from any personal experience. I'm not anywhere close to this part of my life. But to me, I think it seems like a really exciting time of life, you know, you have the freedom to go explore, and that's a beautiful thing. It is. It can be a wonderful time of life if you've maintained your marriage through raising your children. A lot of couples raise their kids, and when the last one goes off to college, they look across the breakfast table at one another and go, who are you, and why am I still here? Mm. So it can also be a super challenging situation. It sounds like our listeners off to the right start, though. Yes. Finding a shared activity is a great first step. Keep doing it. Find more stuff and find, like Kim said, some separate activities as well. And if you find yourself looking across the table saying, who are you and why am I still here? Engage in the process to discover the other person. Really answer the question and, and find out. You may find a very lovable person lives in your house. Thank you to everyone who has sent in a question so far. If we didn't get to your question, we hopefully will get to it soon. And uh, it's really great to have some real world examples to apply these tools to, to really talk through how you could work through these problems together. And um, we hope you all get something useful out of our thoughts and uh, the tools that we can provide for your questions. Um, We're going to try and answer more questions during our regular episodes. So please keep writing in, let us know what you want to talk about. If we cover one of your questions, uh, write in again and let us know if you were able to apply some of the tools we suggested or if you have follow-up questions, anything like that. We'd love to know 
how it's working out for you. So that's it for this rest stop. Time to hit the road again. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.